Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. Chewy, there's something that I've been wanting to bring up, but I don't want it to be awkward. We never talk about it, but the first time we met, you were trying to kill me, and I still think about it. Ambien? Literally, you were on Ambien? I've seen you sleep. You're like a fabric sample in a medically induced coma. Okay, it it just surprises me that you would take Ambien. I would have thought you needed, like, Salmonex special ape formula or something. Well, no, maybe you're not technically an ape, but, you know, you're apey. I didn't mean it in a racial way. I, I thought ape was, like, an okay thing to say in the context of you. So it's okay when you guys say it to each other. I get it. I get it. I'm so sorry. I was totally out of line. Hug it out. Okay, that rib is never going to be the same. We have to find a safer way to make up. Chewy, I just need to say that the nose today is about Roseanne Barr and Samantha B. What a sandstorm. It's like Jakku out there, am I right? But just this once, I want you to say the name of the host. Oh, he said it so nicely, too. Uh, all right. Yes, that's uh, Kyone and uh, Chewy working out their problems. A lot of people having problems this week. You know, um, Michelle Obama said, when they go low, we go high. Well, mm-hmm. nobody went high this time. <laughs> Everybody went low. Uh, we're going to talk about that. We've got a great panel to do it. We're also going to be talking – well, first of all, let me tell, tell you who the panel is. Uh, Rebecca Castellani, entertainment director at Bridge Street Live uh, in Collinsville, Connecticut, often referred to as the Montmartre of Connecticut. <laughs> uh, James Hanley is the co-founder of – of Cine Studio at Trinity College. Pedro Soto is account executive at DRT Power Systems uh, in New Haven and one of the leading Star Wars scholars uh, in the, on the Eastern <laughs> Seaboard, uh, which is important because our second topic today is going to be Solo, uh, the new Star Wars movie. Uh, and But before we get to that, yes, uh, as I'd, I've been off for two weeks. This is my first day back. I was in Rome. I was watching a movie solo in Rome, but also watching the Roseanne Barr situation unfold. Uh, it has been compounded a little bit by what we might call the Samantha B uh, situation. But I think maybe what we have to do first uh, is talk about the Roseanne Barr thing. Not that it hasn't been talked about a lot, but it, it, a couple of things that have kind of intrigued me. Rebecca, maybe uh, let, let's start out here. I, I'm assuming I, we don't have to say too much about this the, uh, to, to set it up. She had a tweet uh, on Tuesday morning referring to former Obama aide Valerie Jarrett uh, as looking like the offspring of the Muslim Brotherhood and Planet of the Apes. Um, and things got rolling real fast, uh, at, first of all, on Twitter in terms of condemnation, but also at ABC. I mean, this is kind of – they had like this kind of runaway hit show. This isn't some marginal thing that they canceled. In a, in a way, they had a really big date with their own principles. Yeah, no, I mean, just the week before it happened, I was looking at the, because the, the end of the TV year came a couple of weeks ago, and Roseanne swept everything. I mean, it was the highest watched show. I mean, it tapped into this network of people that clearly feel that there's not a lot of television out there for them, and Roseanne filled that niche. Um, 
I think ABC absolutely handled this the right way. I don't think there was really any other option but to fire her and fire her quickly. Um, I think it's a sh- terrible shame for all the other talented people working on that show, all the producers. I mean, you you got to feel bad for all the other people that have lost their jobs because of one woman's racism. But I, I also think to begin with, Roseanne had so many past tweets and things that are really on par with this. Frankly, I don't think they really should have given her the platform to begin with. I think we could have had done a show that addresses, you know, the the sector of America that doesn't feel represented in the mainstream media. I think you could have produced something like that that was not putting a, a really public racist in the spotlight. Yeah, you know, James, in, in some ways, as I thought about this, uh, the controversy it most uh, reminded me of was the one involving Don Imus. Don Imus at a radio show for many years, where on a lot of days he did a lot of pretty racially charged humor, sexually charged humor, very transgressive stuff about just about everybody. Um, and But it was also a fun place to go if you were Maureen Dowd or Frank Rich or uh, Jeff Greenfield. I mean, people that we really like a lot as you know, liberal-leaning news people, they would kind of ignore all that and go on the show. And then one day he went too far. He talked about uh, women basketball players, black women basketball players as nappy-headed hoes. And even though that wasn't that different from what happened on a typical day there, it exploded and, and took him out or took him down many, many pegs. And, and I think Rebecca raises a really good question, which is, I mean, this wasn't like a way out of character tweet. Uh, no, and, I, yeah. no, I don't think it so at all. I sort of think of uh, Disney and ABC sort of holding a boiling pot without the oven mitts. You know, they mm-hmm. knew that there was a history here. Yeah. They knew there was trouble. And then they suddenly said, oh, I'm burning and <laughs> dropped it. And I think in the case of Don Imus, you know, it's so much in the recent years has been about how much people who have racist views or who have obnoxious like homophobic views or whatever, they are tolerated because they have something else like they make a lot of money or they are seen as edgy or they have Mm. some sort of excuse put up for it. And then uh, it suddenly gets to a point where all of a sudden there's, uh, you know, the emperor has no clothes. And so all of a sudden the the story is different. But I think that in the case, I totally agree with Rebecca about um, Roseanne Barr. She had a history right from the beginning. And even the people on the show now are talking about it and saying, oh, you know, we were always on tenterhooks. You know, we didn't know what was happening next. What What were we going to hear next? So they all knew. And there was a lot of money being made. And they sort of like, let's hold our noses and hope that we can breathe. And of course you can. And so it came back uh, to, to roots. And I think that it was a deserved um, departure for the show. I think that you couldn't support. I, I, I'd love to actually hear somebody actually make a case for that that was halfway believable, but there hasn't been. And I think that it was justice. Yeah, let me just play. Let's play around with this a little bit. I mean, first of all, I, I do want to say before I do that, sitting there in Rome, the minute I saw that, I thought, well, either everybody who has any self-respect has to quit, and you cannot be <laughs> on the show anymore, or something. I, it didn't occur to me that ABC would move to move it swiftly as it did. But you know, Pedro, I was also trying to imagine somebody like Laurie Metcalf. Now, I don't know a lot about mm-hmm. Laurie Metcalf, but I think I could probably guess what her politics are like, um, and I could sort of imagine her having conversations with people saying, you know, in this context of this show, I get to say a lot of things that are true and important. And there are characters on this show who represent things that are true and important. And this show gets a kind of attention that you just wouldn't get if 
you know, it's sort of the difference between Huckleberry Finn, which has a lot of really mm-hmm. incredibly objectionable stuff in it, and an abolitionist sermon by some boring Unitarian minister of the day. Uh, you know, there's a way in which this show, because it's so charged up, gives me an opportunity to say stuff that's really important to me. I mean, that obviously didn't fly, but I wonder if it could have flown. Yeah, I mean, and, and to say things potentially to an audience that might not be hearing them as well. Mm. Um, I think the big problem with Roseanne is that in the world of Twitter with the public platform, there's kind of very, you know, again, that we've talked about this on shows in the past, separating the artist from the art. And, um, you know, if she was going to continue just being an awful Twitter person, um, at some point there would be a commercial hit on the show in terms of a commercial impact on the show in terms of advertisers leaving and things like that. And I think that, um, I mean, I think the, 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 kind of devil's bargain that they made is like, well, maybe if we give Roseanne a lot of money and if we ask her very nicely to stay off the Twitter, we can have a hit. If she stays quiet, we're good. We're going to be giving her enough money that maybe she will stay quiet. And then, of course, you know, it's the... uh, does that apply to somebody else we know? Yeah, maybe, right? <laughs> well, again, it's like, right. This is the oh, this is the day that Trump became presidential, right? Like we're waiting for him to kind of finally turn the corner now that he has made it here, um, and I think that that's probably what they were hoping would happen. And then at some point, they woke up on Monday and they said, "Nope." <laughs> yeah, you know, it's sort of interesting too in the history of these kinds of things. So this is way too dated for uh, someone as youthful as you, Rebecca, but I'm sure you've heard about Archie Bunker, you know, and and Archie Bunker, the character was way worse than the actor. Carol O'Connor, you know, was nothing like Archie Bunker, but Archie Bunker was somebody who was amusing to liberals and kind of reassuring to conservatives uh, in a way that's not completely dissimilar from Roseanne's character uh, on this latest show. The difference being that the real Roseanne was actually worse than the character she was playing. Yeah. Well, I mean, you you get that I mean, this is one of those situations where the fact that her name is the show's name and that line is already a little blurry. And then for her to be tweeting stuff that's right on par with the character, there is no distinction then between the art and the artist. And that's not successful art, in my opinion. That's just a platform for a racist. Right, exactly. And I think that 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 platform for a racist exists in a different universe from when Archie Bunker was was extant. I mean, you're talking now about people who are racist and who are uh, who exhibit all of these worst traits and actually are in power and they're 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 appointing judges and they're actually changing the society in their image. And they're actually encouraging people to be more racist and more homophobic Mm -hmm. and more obnoxious. And so it's a very different context. I mean, I found myself sitting over in Rome reading about this, saying to my traveling companion, something, I mean, either everybody has to quit or, or, or the show has to go or something because we've now hit really, you know, if we can't say that you cannot, it's not okay to compare black people to apes. If we don't have that rule, then we don't have any rules, right? I mean, we've now reached the point where we've abandoned the whole idea that there can be any kind of civil discourse at all. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm expecting you to react to that. It wasn't really a question, however, I understand. No, I, I think I, th- I think you're right. I mean, I think it's it's the bright red line, and I think that you know ABC and Disney were like, well, maybe she won't cross it. She crossed it, and 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 I'm sure that even when they started going going down this road, that I think the fact that this happened so quickly, obviously these conversations had already been happening. Of, well, what if she you know goes down this line? What are we going to do? And someone finally said. This is what we're going to do. Mm. So will somebody pick up this show? <laughs> oh, God. Oh. Fox? 
maybe Fox and Friends. Well, they don't, they don't, can have a little well, morning segment. A Checking news, in with Roseanne. It'll be a new She's news a new division. correspondent. <laughs> Actually, you know what's what's really interesting is going to see if Roseanne turns into kind of like that reality show you know, talking head or have something in some sort of right-leaning channel where, you know, it's going to be like a Roseanne docu-series about something where she can kind of continually play the aggrieved martyr. Um, So she may pop back up. I mean, the show may not because I don't think... I mean, there may be a Roseanne without Roseanne. um, Just not sponsored by Ambien. Exactly. <laughs> Somebody on Twitter said they should just replace Roseanne with Danny DeVito and not make any n- notion about it. Just, oh, just summon DeVito. <laughs> I'd watch that show. Yeah. I would too. Um, all right. So compounding this a little bit was what happened to us with or I was going to say to Samantha B, but actually it, she was the, 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 the person who, who did who got the ball rolling, as it were. Uh, she was reacting to a rather blissful looking picture of Ivanka Trump uh, and her son uh, and uh, using that as an occasion to kind of call Ivanka. Trump out on whatever enabling or complicity, uh, to use the Saturday Night Live term, uh, she's engaging with with her father as her father engages in immigration policies that separates families. But here's how it came out. Let me just say, one mother to another, do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless (laughs) He listens to you. All right, so... The word that was bleeped was what we often refer to as the C word. We're not going to say it on this show. Um, and because, uh, and, but we've had a really spirited conversation about this. Uh, we email a lot before the show. And Rebecca and I and, and Jonathan, our producer, I think in particular, have been emailing a, a lot about this because we don't entirely see it uh, uh, the same way. And I do want to, I'll preface this by saying I'm not suggesting that Samantha B's show should be canceled, but I'm also not suggesting. This isn't a nothing burger as far as I'm concerned, but uh, not everybody sees it that way. Uh, Rebecca, we might as well start with you because you really don't see it that way. No, I really don't. I do not see really, especially in the context of Sam B's show. um, I think it's worth just saying right off the bat, this is not the first time she's used this word on her show. It's not the first time she's called somebody this word on the show. Um, So I think that because it's targeted at Ivanka, I think that that, you know, has definitely brought this. And I think the fact that it happened the same week as the Roseanne scandal, I don't know if this would have made any sort of waves if it had happened two weeks ago. But it did. Everyone's upset about it. It's not, you know, there would have been much better things she could have said in that moment that wouldn't have detracted from her point, which is that Ivanka is complicit and she does project this image of being above it all. And I'm off spending Sundays with my children and I, I'm, I'm detached from the messy side of my father's politics. Well, I think that's trash. And Samantha B clearly thinks that's trash. So, yes, her word choice was poor. I do not think there is any correlation between see you next Tuesday and racial slurs such as, I mean, even calling somebody an ape to me, that is so much more reprehensible and vile than the C word, which I I think James and I feel this way, just having had experience in Europe where this word, especially in Scotland, is used like like. I mean, it it has got none of the same weight it has in this country. So yes, there's a little bit of a cultural difference for me in particular, because I've heard this word used in such a desensitized context time and time again, that it doesn't hold that same weight to me. But I think that the fact that we're even equating it this false equivalency, especially from the White House, that that's on the same level as what Roseanne did to me is just outrageous. 
Yeah, All right. I, yeah, go ahead. I totally agree with that. I mean, I, I, I think that what you've, what you've got here is a, a whole machine that reacts to these things. And I think that certainly Samantha B is, is intelligent enough to know that that word would certainly have an effect given this yes. current context. And I think she used it judiciously. And I think that actually uh, the only unfortunate thing I would say at first, which I think we were talking about, was that it stops the t- discussion from what Ivanka is really doing. Yeah. And not only this disgusting behavior towards families and children, but also um, getting patents from the government of China for her for her stores and trading on the position she has with it, within the Trump administration, and actually doing things that are completely unethical and completely badly. I mean, bad behavior doesn't even begin to describe yeah. it. So I would say, you know, well, okay, so you say a word like the C word on that show, and she's actually calling her out and actually actually focusing on, on this woman who gets away with so much because she gets away with an image where she's nose to nose with her child, not about what she does. So I would say there's a lot of fallout. I understand that, but I'm totally with her. Pedro? <laughs> <laughs> I, I fall somewhere in between, I think, the two opposing sides, as I, as I tend to with things like this. But, I mean, I, I, I agree with Colin just in terms of, um, you know, come on, Sam B. Like, you know, first of all, she, she, she recorded the show this week. So I think she knew that that sort of language was in the air. Um, so I think she should have known. Just for me, I, I tend to see things from a tactical perspective. You use that word the outrage machine on the right is going to take it and vacuum out all of the air and substance out of everything else um, rather than the substantive point. Um, I mean, I agree, and I I said this before in any other given week, it's kind of not out of line with things that she said. And if you know and who watched the show, and I watched the show, um, you know, her her sense of righteous outrage um, tends to bubble over because she's really outraged at what's happening. And so that's the word she used. So... Um, you know, I think that I, I just think that as a professional and as someone who who understands, I mean, maybe she didn't think that the blowback would be so big, but given the week that this stuff was happening, I mean, you can just see what's happening. Um, you know, just on Fox News, like this is the lead story on Fox News right now. Right. So, crazy. speaking of universalists or Unitarian ministers, I think Robert Fulgham was one of them. He's this guy who had this hit book back in the like oh, the yeah. 1980s. It was called Everything I Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I thought it was kind of a dumb book at the time, but I, maybe I don't feel that way now. It seems to me. This is kindergarten, and in kindergarten, you can make rules like you cannot compare black people to apes, and you cannot call women the c-word. These are good rules to have; <laughs> they're really good rules, and it makes sense to have these rules and to enforce them. And you know, in, this w- was a word that was used a lot about Hillary Clinton. It was used by Roseanne Barr, by Ted Nugent, Scott Baio created a little meme where he was, I think, maybe standing in front of the O in count or something, uh, but or something like that, you know. But in a way directed at Hillary Clinton. And it was a way of reducing her, reducing her to what was between her legs. Uh, it was a very, very gendered use of the word. They were they, when you call when you call Hillary, Hillary Clinton that word, you're not saying I object to her policies. You're saying she's the kind of woman that I don't like, and I can dismiss that way. And and I just don't. I don't know. I feel like. Just in the same way that you know Jimmy Kibble got in trouble this week for sort of Jimmy Kibble, whose gentleness we have kind of admired on other subjects, <laughs> said, "Well, you know, this is really terrible what Roseanne Barr said, but you know, she's clearly mentally ill. Maybe she deserves some compassion, something like that." People Mental illness him. doesn't make you racist. Yeah. People tore him apart uh, for that, and I, I, I do feel we need 
we don't have a dearth of this kind of strident, aggressive, demeaning language. We have plenty of it. And, and what I think we don't have is, is much of the other thing. And I just thought, wow, there's just like, I don't know. Uh, I think it's, I think this, however it's used in England, and I'm quite, I used to own, you know, Derek, uh, <laughs> Derek and Clive who were Peter Cook and, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore's alter egos and they use that word the way you describe it, Rebecca, every right. three words. So I get the way it's used there. But I think it is a word of a, a oppression and subjugation and reduction when it's used about women in a very aggressive way. And in a way, it's the triumph of the oppressor to get one woman to use it about another. I do think there's a, a rebranding that's going on with the word, too. I mean, I remember seeing the vagina monologues in college, and they use that word in that in, oh, a, yeah. in a way that's flipped, you know, all that negative connotation on its head. And I think when it's Samantha B using the word to describe Ivanka, and it's a word that's bigger than, I don't know what we can say, so the B word or the A word or something like that, you really want to, to, to insult somebody. And I don't think it necessarily, to me, brings up of a yes it's a gendered term obviously it refers to the female anatomy but i don't have that same reaction that it's uh, a whole coded signifier you know of her reducing her just to a feminine stick i i think it's it's more like a you're the worst type of woman because you're not standing up as a mother for because of your behavior because, because your of behavior. what you're, you're doing you're behaving like a monster right. and you are a mother and you should have some compassion and to me that's higher than all the other words we could yeah. use to call her and she is a woman and although each of you have done very effective takedowns uh, of Ivanka Trump without having to need to use that word. Yes, and know? I think she could have done, but this is also Samantha Bee's style. She gets really mad yeah. and just wants to scream, and John Oliver does the same thing, and people don't get all up in arms when he curses. I mean, He I, doesn't use that word. No, he doesn't. He certainly uses words that describe, use the male anatomy. Right. Repeatedly. Which, right. and again, I think this is kind of one of those situations where it's probably a little more okay for a woman to call another woman this than it is a man to call yeah. a woman this because of the cultural history attached cultural to it. Cultural history, right. I don't feel particularly bad using that word, but I, I think a lot of people do. I think you need to be careful of that. I wouldn't use it in casual conversation, but I also don't think it holds any of the impact that Roseanne's tweet did. I mean, that that's two different things. And for the right to be comparing those two and saying Samantha B is the same as that or worse is just silly. You know, Pedro, not to put you on the spot about this, but, <laughs> but you're raising a kid in today's society. And I think it's hard. I, I used to be challenged when Joey, my son, who you right. know, you know, he and I'd be walking across the street and he would be eight years old and a car would be going by blasting out hip hop and you know, MF, 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 you know, and I would be thinking, well, he probably hears just almost as bad around the house. But on the other hand, I'd like to have some control over that, you know, sure. um, and it's worse now, right? I mean, there's a race to the bottom going on. It's oh, like yeah. Ted Nugent said that word, so so Samantha B can say it too. I, and I, I, I don't know. As a parent, do you ever – I'm sure these are conversations that go on in your house. Oh, definitely. I mean, the, the use that my child does for, with transgressive language now. It's like, is this word <laughs> bad? What about this? And, you know, I mean, it's it's a lot of exploring of, of those limits. Um, and obviously it's, yeah, like w what words are appropriate and what words are not. It's kind of like kindergarten, figure things out. Um, and so if you do have this race to the bottom, 
I, I mean, on, on one hand, it's like, okay, well, are, are you reducing all these words of their power so that they're not a big deal and they just happen and right. then that's, life goes on? That's the Lenny Bruce argument, yeah. right? Yeah. Lenny Bruce is talking about the N-word, said, said you I, know, the president should go on TV and say N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N until it doesn't mean anything anymore. Right. I'm, I'm not sure I agree with that. I mean, I think the very point of those words actually is, I mean, if you did it with one word, another one would be, would, would exactly. be available. Yeah. And so that, I don't think that that's really the issue. I think the issue here is something different, which is that you're talking about speech that has impact mm -hmm. and people feel that when that that speech is used in a certain way then it has a quality that changes the discussion like your point about how okay well we can't have the discussion now about Ivanka's bad behavior we talk about how she's been described and uh, you know I would say okay I would entertain that uh, argument uh, if it were remotely possible that we were actually having those discussions about what's happening to the country, about the proto-fascism and the oppression of people and the empowering of words that destroy people's lives, the ripping away of children from their parents because they're trying to escape from a drug trade that is fueled mm. by the money from the United States. I mean, it, it, the hypocrisy is astounding. So I'd say, great, have these words that set a fire. Let's let, let's talk about it. But I totally agree, too, that when you use a term like ape in the in, in, in the context that Roseanne Barr did, that is a different story. Yeah. That yeah. is something that is highly personal racist behavior. That is something that a corporation that is actually supplying the money to purvey it actually has to think about whether they are wise doing that. Well, at the, the, at the risk of uh, repeating Samantha Bee's mistake, you're all a bunch of nerf herders. We have to take a break because <laughs> we're going to talk about Solo after this. <laughs> myself in my headphones. There. Now I hear myself. Uh, we are now back, uh, and we are about to talk about the new um, Star Wars movie. And that, of course, is Solo. It is the beginning of the story of Han Solo uh, before he is really the person that we will eventually meet uh, in future Star Wars movies. Um, so uh, rather than me blathering on so inconsequentially, uh, here's a clip. We're going to hear uh, the very young Han Solo, played by Alden Ehrenreich, uh, and Lando, Lando Calrissian, played by Donald Glover, because we are basically living in Donald Glover's world right now. Uh, so here they go. You see, how'd you guys let me beat you on that one? Come on. There's no liars in this game. Just players. The seat taken? Nobody's in the seat that I ain't taken, friend. So this is, uh, Sabak? Sabak. Sabak. Got it. You played before? Couple times, yeah. Captain Lindo Carazzi. Han Solo. Looks like you're uh, having a good day. I'm a lucky guy. Can I ask you a question, Captain Calrissian? Anything, Han? It's Han, but that's okay. I heard a uh, story about you. I was wondering if it's true. Everything you've heard about me is true. 
All right. So there you go. Uh, we're off and running. So, Pedro, obviously, you've probably uh, known a lot about this movie since its very inception, uh, getting information leaked to you from the set, uh, things like that. But um, this did have kind of a checkered and struggling production history. The uh, original uh, plan for who was going to direct it uh, blew up. The movie wasn't really working. Uh, George Lucas, as I understand it, brought Ron Howard, who turns out to know how to make movies, uh, in to, to get things uh, wrapped up here. So, I mean, people... People who get excited about Star Wars movies, category that would include you, uh, were, I don't know, a little gingerly in their approach to this. How, how are you feeling about it now? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I, I loved it. Um, I mean, I, I, I really, I, I actually went in not know, knowing a lot less about this one mm-hmm. than, than most. Um, I only saw, I think, one of the trailers, and I was like, well, I'm just going to not, you know, get my hopes up uh, for this movie. Uh, and so I watched it on opening night, um, as has been my tradition for uh, a long time, and uh, and and I I really liked it. Um, I mean, I felt it was. Um, I really thought it should have been released at Christmas time. I think it would have been the perfect Christmas movie. Um, you know, it's not a super high stakes movie, um, but it was a lot of fun. I thought everyone really act. The acting was great. I thought the plot was 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 fun. Um, you know, the um, Donald Glover just absolutely steals. The, the show and so does the droid in every uh, scene that that they're both in. Um, so you know, it was it was just something I I, I I was telling people after like just go see it. You know, you've got nothing to lose. It's a really nice fun movie. I'm being told by another Star Wars nerd, uh, Jonathan McNichol, that it's not George Lucas. It's Lucas Film. Lucas uh, Film. Uh, yes, uh, Kathleen Kennedy. Kathleen, Kathleen Kennedy. Yeah. That's what he's telling me too. So well, I have some specific questions, but I maybe just want to get some general reactions from the rest of the panel. So how about you, Rebecca? I went in thinking it was going to be terrible. I was really worried about it, and I was very pleasantly surprised. I thought it was very fun. Um, I liked that there wasn't a whole lot of force mumbo jumbo. There was, was like almost no force. No, it no. was just a heist movie, really. Right. And yeah. the references were not condescending. Like you, if you're not a true fan, if you didn't pick up on this, or you, it, it was done in such a way that you could. It was rewarding for real fans, like deep nerds, but also really enjoyable if you would know really nothing. You've got a passing knowledge of Star Wars, and you're looking for a fun movie. It is very much a standalone piece. It's got a beginning, middle, and end. There's really no cliffhanger. It, well, sort of, but not not in a way that implies there's going to be seven more movies. It, it felt digestible and fun, and I was very pleasantly surprised. And Amelia Clark is in it, so... That besides Donald Glover, the mother of dragons herself. The Khaleesi. Isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, James, go ahead. Just I liked her, too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I liked so many elements of the movie, um, including characters and some of the exchange and the clip you played and things like yeah. that. But the thing that was missing for me was an overarching sense of good writing that, t- that gave it a story that drew mm-hmm. me in. I found myself, my attention wandering, and then there'd, there'd be a good encounter or there'd be an interesting character, and the, the, you know, the, a scene would play out and it would get my attention. But it, it, to me, it didn't quite have the coherence that you, you, that you I, I don't know, I was looking for in the story. And it, it's kind of interesting, too, that, uh, you know, talking about the timing of it coming out, I agree about the wrong time for it to come out, especially when Deadpool was opening right. and, and was stealing screens from it. <laughs> and, I mean, Star Wars movies are usually stealing screens from other movies. The Last Jedi just came out. Yeah, in the six <laughs> yeah, months between exactly. Star Wars movies. And yeah. It, yeah, and I think that it was... Um, yeah, it, it was just, you know, there's so much happening. These Marvel movies are really an industry of their own, and Deadpool yeah. is basically another one, and obviously Avengers, you know, a few weeks ago. And then this comes out, and it's this curiously low-stakes movie um, that's not really tied into a lot of things. And I think one of the issues with these 
these origin stories is that you have to set up the origin. And so, you know, your first 20 minutes of film, 25 minutes mm -hmm. of film really isn't related to the rest of it. Or it's going to kind of be like a touchstone usually if it's done well. But it takes a lot of it out. And so, you know, you don't have as much room to tell the story. And so it does end up being disjointed because I think everything everything has to be these little set pieces that takes you, okay, well, we're, you know, we're here at the beginning. We're on Karelia. Now we're, you know, now we're going to meet Chewie. Okay, we've done that. Now we're going to kind of get up yeah. the set up yeah. the heist. Okay, now we're going on the heist and now we're going to meet Lando and now things are going to start to cook. But like before that, each you're right, each little individual scene is felt very uh, sort of hermetically sealed from like the rest until the, the movie really starts yeah. moving. And, and you know, I think also this is an interesting thing about the structure of movies that the Disney uh, productions generally uh, and Marvel as well, they have a sort of developmental mm -hmm. procedure that's following mm -hmm. a, a, a plan, you know, that mm -hmm. it's a skeleton that they've basically been told by the producers they have to follow. I think that this story actually would have handled the origins part with sort of like like almost sort of European style with flashbacks, you know, sort of yeah. like or somehow inserting yeah. those things as very small pieces in the big story. Mm -hmm. Then the big story could have been carried much better. Uh, I mean, certainly by um, Donald Glover's character, you know, he's really he he really does dominate the movie and has a real effect on the movie. And him coming in late into the movie, it doesn't it doesn't start to click soon enough. I right. would have preferred it if the movie was Lando followed him from the beginning and you got a little yeah, whip in with Han right. Solo and said, yeah. oh, there's Han Solo and Chewie, yeah. cool, I move mean, on. <laughs> Lando's really the guy you want a story about. And yes. you could do anything and with him. Donald Glover's Billy D. Williams affectation yes. was everything. Yes. I thought Alden yeah. Ehrenreich also really nailed yeah. an awful lot. I believe they brought in dialect coaches yeah, they and did. all kinds of stuff yes. like that. Yes. Well, yeah. Let me ask you this, Rebecca. You know, um, one of the th I could be wrong about this. Um, one of the things that I thought watching this movie, this movie I thought had a kind of whip-crack sense of humor uh, that you don't always see in Star Wars movies and certainly the original uh, trio of Star Wars movies. Although they had funny moments you know, and Han Solo is they never tell me the odds or something like that is funny. But there really was never a joke in any of those movies that a fifth or sixth grader wouldn't completely understand, I, I think. This movie, I sort of wonder whether the Marvel Universe is making demands so. uh, mm. uh, that things be funnier at a quicker yeah. and, as I said, kind of whip-crack yeah. level. And in that self-referential, you know, mm -hmm. fourth wall-breaking way, too, I think that Marvel has just done this and it's been it's worked so well for them. I mean, you look at something, in my mind, I think Thor Ragnarok is one of the best Marvel movies because mm -hmm. it is so funny and so self-referential and it wasn't boring. It wasn't just another city's under siege. And we've got to fight the big bad. And this movie definitely had that nod towards let's make this more of a funny film than a necessarily teary. You know, there's some sad moments, but there's more funny moments by, by a lot than there are sad dramatic moments. As we said, you know, the stakes are so low compared to some of these Marvel movies, especially, I mean, the last movie I saw in theaters was Infinity War, which is just such a mammoth movie with such high stakes that everything kind of following that is like, oh, well, they're going to get what they need to get and get out and somebody might die, but it's not somebody I'm super attached to. Right. It's, it's not going to be chewy. So. It's not yeah. going to be chewy. And that's the other problem yeah. with these prequels is that mm -hmm. you know to some degree, everyone that you care about yeah. is going to make it to the end of the movie because they got to go on and do all this other that, rigmarole. That, that brings up another thing, that, which was, you know, I thought uh, the appearance of Tandy, Tandy Newton, you know, yeah. I thought she was really great. And I thought I saw her uh, character yeah. and I thought, you know, black woman in this position, yeah. she's got to be gone in 20 yeah. minutes. Oh. Yeah. And sure enough, she was. <laughs> and, and that was a mistake, I think. A huge mistake. A huge mistake.
Although it could have been her shooting schedule for Westworld. <laughs> and that's true, where she's <laughs> running she's off. She's stealing that. every scene. Yeah, I mean, and yeah. She yeah. certainly owns that thing. Well, you know, and Pedro, just back to the sense of humor thing, and there, there's one more thing I want to go into after this, but there's, there's a way in which I, I think they do have to adjust their calipers a, a little bit uh, in the Star Wars world. On the other hand, I don't think you could have the equivalent of Jeff Goldblum uh, in, in Ragnarok, where there's a character who almost is smirking <laughs> at the entire movie. <laughs> I think the interesting thing to see over the next X years, because we're going to get Star Wars movies forever at this point, is will they eventually be able to break the mold enough? I think one of the going back to Last Jedi, um, as much as I'm conflicted about that movie months later, um, I think Ryan Johnson saw this that like the mold has to be broken Mm -hmm. so that when people start picking up the pieces, we start doing something new. That's why I'm hoping like the next of these movies, and I think I'm probably going to be wrong on this, is going to be, you know, just something different, a different character or just a different story or a different, you know, um, type of movie that allows kind of this really interesting universe to kind of be played with in, in a different way. And then then maybe a Ragnarok may rise in four or five years. That's why I liked Rogue One so much. Is it, yeah. it occupied it answered a question that I didn't really even know to ask and mm-hmm. it introduced a whole set of characters that, whose fates yeah, I didn't know point. from the yeah. beginning yeah. that worked I, I liked Rogue One a, a mm-hmm. lot and I didn't like The Last Jedi that much but James mm-hmm. one thing that I've noticed with all of those with both of those movies and now this one in particular in addition to being this tremendous thrill ride this is a very political movie this is a movie very mm-hmm. much is, about yeah. haves and have nots mm-hmm. and how justice is going to be arrived at and the justice now includes real ideas about an economic justice there's kind of a hilarious yeah. droid who's uh, who's uh, <laughs> resistance bot uh, yeah, resistance bot who's she's just terrific and, and very funny but she has a very serious point she's trying to make but that point is extended to a lot of other haves and have nots including the very early origins of han and kira the character played by by the khaleesi this these movies have a politics that i didn't see i mean obviously the star wars franchise did have a movie about trade negotiation, but I don't consider that as interesting politically. <laughs> no, I think that's true. I think that that's a, a, a sign of the maturity of of the actually of the writing. That that although the story might not in itself have been strong, it's all of these background elements and the awareness of uh, like like character interactions and things like that, which have become much more sophisticated. And I think its social and political awareness is is something that. Um, I think that uh, there's a lot of drive in the industry generally uh, about these uh, what are seen as tent poles, which previously have, have in in their earliest iterations were, didn't have any of that sort of context. And now mm-hmm. I think that the writers are interested in it. The people who are behind it are interested in it. And I think it gives them more longevity in the market because it draws it, it draws more interest from an older crowd. Because one of the things that tends to happen with these tentpole movies is that the audience uh, tracks younger and younger. And so um, then they have a tougher time telling a story that will actually be accepted by the producers as being the target audience of the film. I also wonder how these movies are going to play in certain overseas markets mm. where some of the economic condition, conditions depicted are even more recognizable right, right. than they might be to us. Yeah, well, it didn't do very well opening weekend in this country, and I wondered how— Or it, overseas. No, okay, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think this is going to be one of those films that does really well when it's on DVD or on mm. demand and on Netflix or whatever is the next wherever it ends up. 
quickly. Well, it, it, it is something that, yes, I, I think that it will have a life of its own later. It has almost some of the profile, except for the missing sort of strength of story. I think it has a lot of the profile of an art film in a way mm-hmm. um, that has been blown up and is thus being, uh, is is not only taking a different audience, but also because of the timing of its appearance, it didn't get a chance yeah. to be anything other than that. Right. And so it was you, Memorial Day weekend, too. Right. Which, not, not smart. Um, Pedro, I think one question that gets answered is can Alden Ehrenreich carry a movie? Uh, at least, or as, as, mm-hmm. as has been suggested, Donald, Donald Glover and the Khaleesi provide an awful lot of juice and energy uh, <laughs> to, this, uh, to this show. And Woody Harrelson is in it too. And, but I mean, I thought Ehrenreich was really good. I'd seen him in Hail Caesar. Yeah. Uh, and I, I really thought he kind of rose to the demands of this. I, I thought it worked. I mean, once, once you kind of get acclimated to it and, and, and watch, I think, I think he, he played a pretty good Han Solo. I mean, it's hard when you're playing like an iconic character, um, and, and I think that they they did a pretty good job balancing that and letting sort of you know Alden kind of do his own thing without kind of mugging, um, you know, without you know speaking like Harrison Ford. Um, you know, it was more of sort of like a spiritual connection rather than like a try to like a literal a literal connection, and I think that that just made it work. Um, versus had he really tried to sound like a young Han Solo. Right. And, and he's also, it was once said about Keanu Reeves that one of mm-hmm. the reasons he was successful in movies like The Matrix is mm-hmm. it's fun to watch him move. You know, I yeah. mean, some actors going back to Cary Grant are just so kinetically interesting that you just want to watch him run around. And Aaron Reich has a little bit of that quality. I do have to say, I noticed this even more than I've ever noticed it in a Star Wars movie, and it's just sort of something that amuses me. If you notice how everybody knows how to do everything, yes. you can always just say to somebody, go <laughs> yeah. there and fix that yep. thing that you've never seen before yep. in your life, mm-hmm. but completely rewire it and then hook it up to something else you've never heard of, and whoever they ask can immediately go do that, right? Well, then they have the whole thing when he hasn't flown the, the ship yet, yeah. and then he just seamlessly goes and knows where every button is, and, and then Chewie automatically. I mean, they do kind of explain I, that kind later of, on. Yeah. Because it's, you know, the... Yeah. They but everybody always, can always figure out everything. That's true. Yeah, they, yeah. Well, and, and everyone is always on the planet you happen to be on at the time. And everyone's always really <laughs> right. good at fighting. I would yeah. love to see a Star Wars movie with just someone who's completely in nav or like style too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, well, I think uh, I think we all liked it anyway. Yeah. And you should yeah. go see it. You're going to have should. a lot of fun. And uh, the one disfavor we've done is to raise your expectations. Rebecca had the best <laughs> yeah. deal. She went in with the lowest expectations. And, and that's always setting yourself up for a win, I think. All right. We have to take a break. We're going to come back. We'll do some endorsements. This has been a confusing show, but my big takeaway is that the Empire definitely needs some kind of sexual harassment training. Today's show was produced by Jedi McPants and me, Kyone Wolf. Amanda Fish and Samantha Bee are hanging out these days. The part of Bill Curry was played by Woody Harrelson. We'll be back on Monday with politics and Shakespeare on The Scramble. And now, back to Colin. All right, it's time for us to recommend some things uh, that you might like. Rebecca Castellani, why don't you go first? Okay, um, my first is a plea to watch something. Um, the Expanse was recently canceled on Sci-Fi, mm-hmm. which is a tragedy because it is amazing. I think it's the best Sci-Fi show on television. It gives me all the Battlestar Galactica vibes right. that you want. It that, is, that's the comparison. It's yeah. fabulous. This last season has been fabulous. The acting's great. Writing's great. So please watch it and tweet about it if you're on Twitter and any of that. We're hoping somebody else picks it up. Talk about Sci-Fi with it. Com- it was 
It was picked up by Amazon. They this picked week. it up. Oh, okay. Yay! I didn't even know that. Okay, never mind. But you should still watch Surprise. it because it's great. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you just made my day. Okay. It, but it's complicated too. Yeah. And, and it's, it's not easy. And talk about a sci-fi with politics. Yes. This is real politics. It is just great. I, I can't say enough about it. So highly recommend the Expanse if you like sci-fi. Um, my other recommendation. Um, is, and this is a couple weeks late, but Michelle McNamara's book, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, about the Golden State Killer and the search, Ooh. her personal search for him. I, I read actually the day after they caught him and reading it in the wake of the fact they've caught him using ancestral DNA and all this was fabulous. She writes with a real honesty and integrity to the victims without being exploitive. It's just a very powerful book. Um, highly recommend anyone that's interested in true crime. I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara. All right, Pedro. Okay, uh, coming up from New Haven, uh, and next week is the International Festival of Arts and Ideas, uh, and it runs June 9th through the 23rd, uh, and it's always an awesome time. I'm letting people know now because if you go to artidea.org, you can look up the schedule because there's an enormous number of events. Uh, some are ticketed, some are not. Um, and uh, it's just worth kind of planning your next few weeks to come down to New Haven when something on that list uh, you find interesting. I believe it's actually properly the International Festival of Arts, Ideas, and Pancakes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun for everybody. All right. So is that it? Are you? Um, yes. Actually, uh, one more thing. Actually, okay. I've been catching up on on many, many uh, TV shows. But um, – the the PBS documentary I've been watching just watched uh, I think part two last night and still I rise uh, Black America since MLK um, is fantastic um, it's really just I, I'm just hooked in we'll probably watch the rest of it over the next few days and um, it, it's great and one interesting thing just quickly about when we're talking about language and things like that there's some amazing clips once they hit the 70s with the busing in Boston and um, about, you know, the South Boston um, kind of white neighborhoods and just how violently they opposed uh, the black um, black students coming in and just seeing the hate, the signs, the, the terms that they're using and seeing that that was just in the 70s um, and just to show the use of language as a tool of oppression, you know, as to what we we're talking about. It, it was, it's really, really striking. So well worth watching. James Hanley. Um, a couple of movie things. Uh, the 31st uh, Connecticut LGBT Film Festival starts today at Cindy Studio and uh, runs for the next week. And uh, some really amazing films every day. Um, and uh, the other thing is that during the summer, in the middle of the summer in July, we're bringing in a couple of uh, interesting films. Uh, there's a new unrestoration of 2001 A Space Odyssey, uh, which is printed directly with no digital, in, no digital changes from the original negative, which we're playing on a 70 millimeter film print. And we're also playing a 70 millimeter film print of Lawrence of Arabia, also in July for a week. Um, and if people haven't seen 70 millimeter on film, it's really something special. And lastly, there's one thing, uh, an amazing book I've been reading about, really kind of a biography of, of uh, George Orwell called The Last Man in Europe by Dennis Glover, which given what's happening in the government and generally, um, it's really fascinating to read about the background of, of, of Orwell and how he, what he experienced and how he came to the point of writing so clearly about the dangers of fascism. A really amazing book, Last Man in Europe. Oh, that's great. All right. So um, 
First of all, we uh, – oh, yeah, Jonathan is suggesting maybe we should do that on uh, – do the 2001 thing on the nose that, as we, the way we did with Close Encounters. That might be really fun. So um, speaking of things we're going to do on the nose, uh, I just want to kind of give you a heads up about this because we love for everybody to participate or as many people to participate as possible. We've never done a book before because usually our panel only has a week to get ready and asking them to see a movie uh, is plenty. Uh, but we want to do a book. Uh, and um, the book is going to be The Power by Naomi Alderman, which uh, I'm almost all the way through. It's um, an amazing book. It, and it actually radicalized me about the Samantha B topic this week in a kind of an interesting way. Uh, I don't want to say too much about it. It's one of those books where – have you read this? Not this yet. Kind of book? Getting uh, it today. Yeah. It's – I just – if you say the premise of it, you sound like you're crazy. I have told the premise to a couple of people, and they're like, okay, Rebecca. <laughs> but it's a terrific book, and it's very interesting. We'd love for the rest of you to read it, too. It was one of Barack Obama's favorite books of 2017. It was it made a lot of bestseller lists, uh, best uh, books of 10 best books of 2017. So we'd love for you to read it, too, and so you can be part of the conversation we're going to have. Rebecca, Rand, and Kate, that's uh, Rebecca Castellani right here, Rand Cooper and Kate Russian are going to be our panelists that day. Uh, so we're looking forward uh, to that. Um, speaking of uh, books, um, another book I want to quickly recommend is um, SBQR, which is uh, Mary Beard's book about ancient Rome. I brought that with me to Italy. I also bring um, Italo Calvino's If on a Winter's Night, A Traveler. To like The last few times I've gone to Italy, I brought it with me and then never touched it. So I mean, maybe, maybe it's like a tradition where I just bring it and don't read it. But anyway, I read her, Mary Beard, who's this very personable and wise and interesting historian of Rome. Um, I'm also going to quickly recommend to you, um, uh, the, I sent this around to the panel, uh, a piece from McSweeney's that just sums up the entire conversation we've had today. It's called Obi-Wan, Can You Stop Saying Sand People? It's Kind of Racist. Um, <laughs> and it's, uh, well, it's, it's everything that we've just said today uh, about uh, some of the things that Roseanne uh, said condensed into the world uh, of Star Wars. And then lastly, I will recommend um, the show On Being, uh, which is hosted by Krista Tibbet, had an amazing conversation with uh, somebody that I personally had never heard of. Her name is Angel Kyoto Williams. She is a black lesbian Buddhist priest, part, uh, I think the first woman admitted to some very highly uh, codified Japanese Buddhist priest tradition. And, and the conversation they have is really kind of amazing, and it touches on some things that I'm very interested in right now, which is, I think, our, our inability to see our adversaries as people who may be part of the same trap that we're in, but just trapped in a different place on the continuum. Uh, it's a hard thing to think about because we're all so mad at each other all the time now. But I found it a very healing and interesting conversation. This woman, she just couldn't be more fascinating. Uh, and uh, so anyway, I recommend it. It's the most recent uh, edition, I think, of On Being. All right. Well, thanks very much to everybody, especially to James Henry, Hanley and uh, Pedro Soto and Rebecca Castellani. Uh, we'll be back on Monday. Talk about Torrington, Vernon, Danbury, Waterbury, Oliveberry, Woodbury, hitting on New Britain, Vernon, I already said that one. Avon, Farmington, yeah, 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 yeah. In this movie, Han Solo makes some extremely questionable decisions. More like Han Yolo, am I right, Chewie? <laughs>